Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm the outreach pastor here. And uh, this morning we're taking a quick break or pause in our Acts series uh, to hear from uh, the Hebert family. And so if you're new to Cornerstone uh, or um, if this is your first time here, uh, we want to let you know that Cornerstone has been uh, particularly involved in the country of Burundi and Africa for a number of years now. And uh, they consider the, the work in that country to be one of our kind of main strategic uh, global partnerships, and a lot of that has, um, in fact, almost all of it, has been through the connection and relationship with the Heberts. Um, here they are on the screen. You're about to see them in a moment, but uh, their kids, uh, uh, Maddie, Keza, and Avery, um, are here as well, so say hi to them if you see them. Uh, but uh, I talked to Doug this morning, and Doug has been coming back and forth, basically, for 22 years. Uh, from Burundi, where he started, he came as a pastor in 1997 for the first time at Cornerstone. And then Doug and Deanna got married, and then they went to Burundi for five years, uh, serving through MCC, and then uh, came back, and then Doug was a pastor again at Cornerstone for, uh, I think, five years. And then they have, um, in 2014, went back to Burundi again uh, for a five-year commitment uh, to serve there. And so that five years is up, and now they are back here for the summer, but have recommitted for another two years. And uh, I want to say you're home for the summer, but I'm not sure if what actually is home for you guys anymore. Um, but, um, yeah. So it's been, a, it's been such a privilege to have a relationship with them and through them and to the work in Burundi. And uh, every time I go there, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the importance of having those personal relationship uh, connections with people on the ground. And because of the length of their stay there in the country, they have built so many relationships with people on the ground. And so it's been a huge blessing for us as a church. It's been a privilege to be able to be a part of um, the work that's going on there through the church and um, through some Burundian organizations. And so um, we're excited to have them here this morning. They're going to share, uh, give a bit of an update about some of the work happening there. And, uh, and then also I'll just uh, hear, a word from, uh, hear a word from Doug. Uh, so we're excited. I'll invite them up right now. And um, they love to talk about the work there. So please feel free to ask them any questions afterwards. And um, yeah, let me just pray for you guys and I'll hand it over to you. And so Father, we're grateful this morning to, to have uh, the Hebert family here with us. God, we really see them as, as family here and it's just such a privilege to be able to partner with them and you in the way that you're working through them and their lives and you're working in the, the nation of Burundi and surrounding areas. And so this morning, Father, would you... Uh, yeah, would you just open up our hearts to hear from them? God, the, the context and the, um, the stories are so far removed from our experiences, and yet um, it's so real um, and so um, significant uh, to, to your work in this world. And so um, help us even to get a handle of that and to, um, to see the way in which you're, you're working around the world, that as, 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 as alive and active as you are here in our church and in our region, you are present and active in, in Burundi and, and the other African nations that they're connected to there. So God, we just want to give you that recognition and praise that you are, um, yeah, you're, you're a work all over this world and you care so deeply for, for each person um, and, and each country. And so we, uh, yeah, we count it as a privilege to join you in that. So um, yeah, would you give us uh, just open hearts and ears and understanding to, to receive uh, what what we're going to hear this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning. So good to see you all in a new place. Feels pretty different, but it's good. It's a good feeling. Um, I'd like to come and give everyone a big hug right now, but it might take a little while. Let me just say, first of all, um, the work in Burundi is not just about us and our family. It's about us, all of us. And I'm acutely aware, and we're acutely aware that we are because we are. And the ministry and the success of the ministry there is because we're doing it together. I was born and raised pretty much at the chapel and then Cornerstone, and an investment that people, some of you here, have had in my life. And even the fact that we went to Burundi was supported by you. And the work that we're doing there continues to be not just supported, but we're doing this together. And I don't just say that to make you feel nice, or because I'm in the driver's seat here. It's the truth. Your prayers, your support. There's so many missionaries that say, wow, if we could only be part of a church like your church, and I'm not even joking, 
they say, wow, those Mennonites, they're amazing. And I don't know if it's exactly Mennonites, but it's you. And we're doing this together. Like, you guys are making people jealous. So we're in this together. I also want to say something else. That song we sang, that's not just a pretty song. That's an eventuality. The kingdom of God will be manifested in this world. Jesus, yes, Jesus said, pray that your kingdom would come and my kingdom will, or my will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. There are promises in the Bible. There are things that we can pray and we can contend for with authority. And this is one of them. So brothers and sisters, let's never stop praying this prayer and singing this song that this would happen in our day, that we would experience the kingdom of God manifesting itself in Burundi and in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Because it's what he wants to do and it's what he is doing. Can I hear an amen? So we want to share a little bit about the work we're doing. Again, some of you have no idea who we are and what we're doing and what we're doing. And um, some of you do. And we're going to try and explain a little bit for a few minutes. And then before the floor opens up and sucks me down because the time is gone and I'm used to speaking for an hour... We'll try and share some of the word also. And I hope that we'll all be challenged closer to Jesus this morning. That's what I want for myself. So, if I could summarize, I'm going to go for the the, the big picture first. We're, We're trying to help people get back to the Garden of Eden. What? Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we're all trying to do with those around us. You see, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. And especially relationships. The relationship between man and God was perfect. The relationship between man and woman or man with man was perfect. The relationship with man and himself was perfect. And the relationship between man and the environment, creation, was perfect. But as you know, sin came into the world. Man made a choice. We made a choice against God. Arrogance, defiance, bringing in a flawed nature, separation from God, broken relationship. But the good news is this this is not the end of the story. That God's intent from creation, from the beginning, was to draw us back into relationship. And that's why the Bible says again and again that God is a God of reconciliation. Reconciliation means there's a break in relationship and God is bringing us back into relationship. Amen? This is what He's doing. 2 Corinthians 5. He's reconciling all things to Himself. Colossians chapter 1 as well. And it says He's made us messengers and ministers and ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. God wants relationship with you and me. This is incredible. That fall is not our story. It is our story, but it's not the end of the story. We're being drawn into something so much greater. This is the best thing. So this is our destiny, to be one with God, to be back in relationship. So how are we doing this in Africa? Well, we're trying to help Africans understand their true Identity, not as Africans, not as Hutus and Tutsis, but as Jesus followers. To know that they are sons and daughters of the King, empowered and even charged with the work of God in this world. If Africa is going to be changed, it's not going to be the United Nations. It's not going to be the World Food Program. It's not going to be missionaries. It's going to be Africans who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who have a passion for their people, and who are reaching out and doing all that they can, sacrificing their lives to see change come. Yes? It's not about us. So we get to come alongside, let's call them apostolic leaders, leaders who have a vision, who have been sensed the call from God to, to want to see change happen to their own people, to see transformation, kingdom transformation happen in lives. So what does this look like? We're working with a school where some of the most vulnerable and marginalized children are, of the world have a chance to meet Jesus. I'm going to let Deanna talk a little bit about that. This is my wife, Deanna. <laughs> Good morning. Um, So, first of all, 
I'm sure that it is pretty much impossible for most of us to imagine what it would feel like to go to bed cold and hungry with the reality that in the morning you will be waking up cold and hungry and picking yourself up, walking in the dark for an hour, perhaps two hours, over rough terrain, your feet swollen and infected with insects that have taken up residence. It's it's a, a reality that is almost impossible for us to even understand. I know that when Matt came to visit us, he had the the pleasure of having one of these tiny insects in his foot, and he was uh, he was quite shaken by it. But that's a very small thing in comparison to having your whole feet taken over by these insects. And that is that's the reality for our students. And not only that, that the physical um, challenge is is nothing in comparison to the discrimination that they face. To go to school knowing that everybody at school hates you before they even know who you are. That the teachers will openly declare that you are worthless and that you are ignorant and it will be impossible for you to learn. This, this is the reality of what it has been like for our students. And I don't know anybody here who would feel courageous enough to overcome those physical challenges and the discrimination at school. And sadly, this same discrimination was also in the church. And this is exactly what makes the witness of this school so life-transforming in the entire community. You can imagine all of a sudden this, this place, this bright spot where, where things are different. Teachers who are actually hiking out into the hills to find the families to understand why are the kids not at school who are spending their own money to help um, care for the families who are not eating? We now, this school that uh, Doug was mentioning was designed specifically for these kids who, um, who the most marginalized, the most discriminated. And now this crazy thing is happening. We have government officials who are begging to allow their children to come to our school. This is completely unheard of. Before, before these parents would never allow their children to even sit on a bench with these kids. And now they are begging to have their kids come to the school. Not only that, the kids will come home crying saying, these, these Batwa kids are too smart for us. They, they're, they know stuff that we don't even know. And the parents are again calling the school begging please, can you give extra help to my, to my kids so that they can be caught up and to be at the same level as, the, as these other kids? It's, it's amazing. And I, and I say that these teachers, they are missionaries. They see themselves as missionaries. They are giving themselves out. They are spending themselves completely for these kids. And that, and that sounds like I'm saying it so flippantly when in actuality that is so countercultural. For these Burindians to be spending themselves on the Batwa, it is an amazing witness. It's only because of Jesus in their lives. It really, really is. Um, A few really quick stories. Uh, The city kids, these kids I was telling you about that normally would never sit with the Batwa, this year there's been an amazing transformation. They are seeing the reality. They're, They're seeing the disparity and they are bringing clothes from home to provide for these, these kids. They are asking the teachers if they can help take care of the feet of these kids. Because these kids live in such a, an isolated area where water is so hard to reach. It's, it's impossible for them to keep their feet clean from these insects. So they're taking pins and they're spending hours cutting out the insects. And that's a, that's a daily thing. Because you imagine you cut them out and then you're back in the dirt. So it's... It requires a constant care. And these, these kids have been transformed by the love of Jesus at the school. It's something that's not happening anywhere else. It's a very unique setting. Two others, I think we have some pictures up. Um, two quick stories. Of uh, The first one is uh, the other one. It's a boy named Dadagali. And he lives up on this mountainside. And the, um, the teachers were realizing that he wasn't showing up for school. So a whole group of them, the principal, a few teachers, they made up the hike 
There's no roads that lead up to these houses. You, you have to hike. It's a, it's, a, it's a good hike to get there to find, to find out what was going on. And they found out that Dadagali's mother had become paralyzed. And he's the eldest of four siblings. And, of course, he had to take care of the family. We watched how he went to go find water. It was this two-liter little container of water that he had to go hike for 35 minutes to find water to bring back to his family. Well, you can imagine how much water a family needs. And he was left to cut grass to provide some money that he could sell. He could sell the grass and provide some food for his family. So the teachers were able to rally around and bring him um, back to school, encourage his parents, provided some of their own money to, to provide food for the family. And now, if you come to school, you will find Adigali in the library. And he, he loves the library. He loves reading. And that is definitely um, something that you were all part of. People have been lugging over suitcases full of books. And we just thank you for what you have done um, with just providing your own resources for that library. The next story is a girl named Shanella. And she was quite traumatized. Her father had tried to sell her, sell her soul to the devil through witchcraft. And when she found out about that, she became so depressed and, um, and eventually was, was Jesus healed her. She came to the school. She now is on the school worship team. So the chaplain has started a school worship team that leads the, the whole school in worship every Monday morning during the chapel service. And she started to sing a song for us. She said, this is my favorite song. And it's all about the hope that she has in Jesus. She said before she was so far away, and now she's with Jesus. And she's just a bright light. There are so many stories of kids who have been transformed. And we are so excited to be a part of it. We're so excited to, um, to be with the staff who have given their lives also. And we just thank you for, for praying for us. And please continue to pray for us. It's, it's important to note that this is an oral culture, so reading has not been something that they did. In, in fact, the teachers themselves don't read. Deanna initiated a kind of a contest that whoever would read the most books of the teachers, they would get a prize. And so then they started reading, and they found that actually reading is, is pretty interesting. Initially, they said, don't build a, a library. Nobody's going to use it. And the library is full every recess, every lunch hour. The kids are coming and reading. And get this. So it's changing them academically. They're gaining knowledge. But the library has been a place where salvation is happening. The, the, the chaplain will come in at their, at their breaks and they start having conversations about God and about sin and, and how you deal with sin. And how was it? The other day there was a whole myriad of kids in one shot gave their lives to Christ in the library while other kids are all sitting around. So this is a, an, a, a miracle place, and you're having a part of that. Um, so just a, really quickly, a couple other things that we're involved in. I won't get into all of it. We've we begun an initiative with business people. God's made it really clear to us that if we're going to have strong, healthy churches, we need to also invest in the business people. It, particularly in this context where poverty is so rampant, we need business people who understand their role in the kingdom. God of businessmen, you have a role in the kingdom. God wants to use you and me and all of us to put forward his kingdom and to help the poor and to, to use your businesses to make an impact on society. So we're beginning this initiative with business people. If we have any business people who are, um, want to talk about this and get involved with us in this, it would be amazing. Let me just say now, I'm hoping that we can have a couple evenings yet this summer when if anybody has more questions for us or or want to have some discussion, we'd love to um, meet with you and just have an informal time together. We'll announce that at some point. Does that sound like a good idea, Jeff? Okay, thanks. Um, um, yeah, so we're also working in a number of different countries in Africa, trying to do the same thing, get, getting behind leaders who have a passion, um, a hunger, uh, a, a, a vision for their people and empower what they're doing. So in January, I was in the country of Niger, which is in West Africa, a very Muslim country, where God is giving the leader there named Yakuba incredible favor in the Muslim context to promote the gospel and see people come to faith. 
Um, we're working in Uganda. We just started partnering with a, a guy named Robert, who's been in ministry for many years, has partners around the world, but he says, I want to be part of a family. I want to be part of a family. And I'm hearing this from different people around Africa, men who have done great works, who have a great ministry, but they don't belong anywhere. So they're looking to us and saying, can we be a family with you? We're like, yeah. Like, you have things to offer us, and, and you have things to, and we have things to offer you, and let's do this. Let's mutually benefit each other, and let's move towards the kingdom of God together. And then lastly, I'll just mention one last thing that we're involved in. It's, it's, a, it's a, a bid, let's call it, for holistic transformation in people's lives. I believe that the message of Jesus is not just to transform me spiritually. I believe that Jesus loves me completely. He doesn't just care about my spiritual self, but he cares about my physical self, my whole self. I think that's why Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love others as you love yourself. How do you love yourself? Well, I try and clothe myself. I I try to have friends, even though they don't want to be friends with me. There's things I do to love myself. And so we're seeking to do the same thing. So we've been doing some trainings with some of the poorest of the poor. In fact, we're, we're mostly doing trainings with leaders who would then go and be with their people and help them to become and to walk in the fullness of Jesus. So we're meeting with these leaders. We did training initially. Now we meet every other week for three hours with about 12 leaders. Sounds pretty Jesus-like, right? We didn't choose 12, but that's what's happened. And it's been amazing. The, the way that these people are being transformed, partly just by being in community, but also as they learn to engage with Scripture. I don't teach. I facilitate the Scriptures. They start to engage the Scripture. They start to find the holes in their bucket. If the goal is to have a full bucket of water, you've got to plug the holes. So what are the holes financially? What are the holes in your marriage? What are the holes physically? What are the holes socially? What are the holes spiritually? And we're seeing people get whole particularly in the context where there's so much poverty, where there's so many, so many problems. We need to contend for the wholeness of the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? We're going to show a video right now, and this is the testimony of one of the women who have participated in this uh, program of whole life discipleship. My name is Odette Nahiman. At first, I had no hope at all. I was living as an outcast with no worth in the community. When this group started, it was like when Peter and John met the lame man by the gate of the temple. He got someone to hold his hand. So this group also held my hand and I began praying and having hope. I was living a miserable life. I had to beg to eat. Or sometimes, when people felt sorry for me, they would give me food. Before I joined the group, God used ammunition to distribute food to us during the crisis and giving us charcoal and money for produce. Then after that, that gave me hope that I can live in this world like any other person. Then my worldview began to change. What has helped me so much in this group is the prayer life. We meet every Tuesday and we pray together. Then after meeting in prayer, we also teach one another about development and how we can thrive in this life. And we even started to grow crops. And they also gave us Irish potatoes seeds. We grew those potatoes and we harvested them. Yeah, Matt. After harvesting that crop, we were able to take home more potatoes to plant in our gardens. But the problem was because I'm not from here, 
I didn't have land and I needed to find someone from Ngozi with that garden to help me. Miraculously, I found one. I planted 49 kilograms of potatoes and harvested 400 kilograms. Right now, as we talk, I have been changed fully and I try to share my hopes with others and I'm seeing the change even in the way I, I walk and talk. I'm no longer begging. In fact, I'm able to bless others with what I have. So I used the charcoal that was distributed as the capital to start my charcoal business. Now I can provide food and shelter for myself and can even bless others by giving. My hopes now are that I am no longer the way I was. I can now testify about Jesus to others that he really can transform lives. And even others in the community are being transformed because of me. I want to make Jesus known and testify to others what he has done for me. And then I also hope that one day I might be delivered from my disability. Now, people who used to see me there are amazed at how much I've changed. They come to learn from me. I want people to be able to see past my disability and see into my hope and future. just it the gospel infecting the whole life look at her she's got sufficiency now she's not rich she's got enough she knows Jesus she knows her creator she wants others to know the creator it doesn't get any better than that I just love her infectious smile she just can't hold it back she's and then she talks and shares her story and she's weeping at the same time tears of joy Odette is a special person. So we get to be part of these trainings that seeing more, more and more stories like this happen in a country that's so impoverished like Burundi. What a great thing. I want to talk the word for a few minutes here. Um, I want to talk about the impetus for mission this morning for a few minutes. And um, it could seem that being someone who's called a missionary that I'm speaking from a place of having this nailed. But I want to say unequivocally and clearly that um, as I share this, this is something that God has been working in me and something that I have to keep coming back to and it's something that I have to keep growing in myself. Because even being on the field, I can go back to um, relying on myself and maybe relying on the past and maybe not expecting um, Jesus to show up and to be changing me at the same time. So I want to talk about the impetus for mission briefly, but I also want, and I pray, that this morning, each and every one of us would be moved further or closer to Jesus. Are we together on that? Is this something that we want? Why would I say that? Because if I look at Paul, Paul was the super apostle. But Paul is saying in Philippians 3, that I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. This is Paul, but he's still saying, I want to know Christ. He knows there's more. So let's um, surrender ourselves this morning as I do myself and let's ask God, what are you saying to me this morning? What, how do you want to push me further? I want to look at the story of the rich young man, Matthew 19. And we're going to read from 16 to 22, not the entire story. And I'm just going to plow ahead and, and read it, even if you're looking for it, Matthew 19, 16 to 22. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. 
If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So we see from this story that this young man wants eternal life. He says that his goal is to have eternal life. How do I get it? Though he's young and wealthy, he's realizing that there's something missing. Something in his life is missing. And he's humble enough to ask, or perhaps crazy. The question is, what good thing must I do? Clearly, he's a pretty good guy. He knows and he's followed the commandments that relate to others. You see, Jesus, I think, was answering, though, in accordance to the question. What good thing must I do? And Jesus says, follow the commandments. But, look at the young man's response. Yes, I've done these things, but he realizes something is missing. There must be something more. I've done these things, but there's an emptiness I'm not assured in my um, place in heaven. What must I do? And I wonder if at this moment, Jesus' response, even though it doesn't say it here, is, aha, yes, this is an open door. And so he says to him, ah, I'm glad you asked. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So let's break this down. First of all, Jesus says, sell your possessions. What does that mean? Is Jesus saying this to all of us, that we ought to sell our possessions? I'm not going to answer that. Um, I'll let the Holy Spirit work in each of us. (laughs) I'm sorry. I haven't sold all my possessions. I think... Though, what the, the, the problem here is that Jesus is going after the heart. Okay? His first answer to the young man was in response to his question about the doing. What must I do? It's a, it's a focus on me. What must I do? Now Jesus is going for his heart. If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions. Sell. Get rid of the thing that has a hold on you. Because he's wealthy. The young man is fulfilling the commands. It was more about himself. This is what I'm doing. I'm feeling good. Now Jesus is showing that true life comes when we surrender what we have. The things that we value in ourselves, that we have about us, our accomplishments, all we have, whatever has a hold on us. Second of all, give to the poor. This is caring for the least. This must be something that comes from deep within. And it requires a giving up of ourselves. It requires getting into the lives of others. It's costly. This comes through the New Testament again and again, doesn't it? The the call to reach out to the poor. You know Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and the goats. The ones that are with Jesus are are the ones that treated the poor and and those in prison. And Jesus said, when you treated those well, when you reached out to them, you ministered to me. And subsequently, those that did not care for the poor, see you later, you're not with me. And then Galatians 2, we see um, the story of the the, the confusion, the the debate happening over circumcision. And they come to a consensus saying that, yes, you don't have to follow those rules, but one thing that we do require, amongst some other things, is that you remember the poor. How curious that amongst all the things that they could have said, one thing that they mandated was that the church would continue to remember the poor. Obviously, this is on the heart of God. It's clear that caring for the poor is not optional and... It's tied into our salvation. It's revealing, it's revelatory of the, self, the saving work that Jesus has done in our lives. Are you with me? I'm not preaching a, a salvation by works. 
but we're preaching a transformation that God has done in us that motivates us to reach out to the least of these. Thirdly, gain treasure in heaven. The goal is heaven. It's not ourselves. It's not about us having good feelings. It means the reward might not be here on earth. This is not our goal. Our personal comfort and our safety, it's not the goal. The focus is heavenly reward, which means we can sacrifice now. We can give it all now because our 70 or 80 years of life, if we're lucky, is short compared to eternity. And so we say yes. We say yes to Jesus. I will do and I will go where you want me to because you've got something much better for us. And it's eternity and it's in my heart. We can experience it. We all feel it inside of us, do we not? Yeah, something's wrong here. Something's missing. What is that? Whether we say we believe Jesus or not, we have that in us. Eternity has been placed in our hearts. That is what we want. Perfection, holiness, trust, non, no poverty, no pollution. It's in us. This is what we're longing for. Fix your eyes on heaven for what is to come. The young man, he said he wanted eternal life, but he also wanted a nice, comfortable life now. Fourthly, then come, follow me. The young man's original question is about what he must do. It's focused on him. Jesus says that he, Jesus, must be the focus. Yeah? Oh, man, how many of you are like me and you navel-gaze a lot? And we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. You know, that introspection and that, that oh, oh, let's just move forward with Jesus. Let Him work in us. Let's uh, believe that He's going to move us in the way that He wants to move us, that He's going to shape us, that He's going to do the work, and we just join Him. It's a change of focus. It's changing from doing to being, and it's about relationship with Jesus. So what is the impetus for mission? It's Jesus. It's not about feeling good. It's not about, what can I do? How many times do we ask that? What can I do? I know young people were asking that question. I remember that. What am I going to do when I grow up? What am I going to do? What am I going to do for Jesus? You know what? Just be with Jesus. He's going to make it clear. Get in the Word. Be around people who motivate you. He's going to show you the way. It's Him that wants to do it. It's Him that wants to have His kingdom come on this earth. It's Him that wants to use us for His glory. To use us as His ambassadors of reconciliation. So we can trust that He's going to do it. So let's pause and personalize really quickly here. Jesus said, for the young man to be perfect, in answer to his question about how to get eternal life, he needed to sell his possessions, give to the poor, seek treasure in heaven, make a move to follow Jesus. So a couple of questions. What are the possessions or the thoughts or the ways of being that have a hold on us this morning? Let's be really practical with ourselves. Okay, we're going to navel gaze for a minute. Then we're going to move away from navel gazing. Those that we can't imagine giving up for Jesus. Sometimes they're so subtle we don't even know. The things that are blocking us from a life of mission. I don't mean necessarily going to Burundi, but right here. For some of us, it might even be the ministry we're doing. Is it possible that Burundi is something that has a hold on me? Do I have an identity outside of Burundi? Whoa. I need to think about that one. Jesus, help me. What about you? For some of us, it might be the pursuit of money. For some of us, it might be our career or our education. For some of us, it might be even things that have happened to us or things that we've accomplished that we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. For it would seem, according to this question that the young man is asking, that eternity is at stake. Is eternity in our mind's eye? Are we living for the now? Are we focused on what's to come? I think often in this culture, in my culture, we can be skewed too much 
to experiencing heaven right now. We're offended by um, uncomfortableness. We're offended by insecurity. We're living safe lives. And sometimes in Africa, it's the other way. That they can just live an evacuation theology, just waiting for heaven to come. And they're not considering or, or realizing that they have a role to make heaven, um, to make the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom, manifesting itself right now. So I think each of us need to come into the middle and to believe that God wants to see his kingdom come now. At the same time, always having a mind's eye to what's coming. Amen? Second question, what's, what's our love quotient? What's our motivation for doing good works? Is our love growing for others? I think in every one of Paul's letters, there's a call to those he's writing to, to, to grow in their love. This is imperative, my friends. It's imperative that we would be growing in love. So ask yourself this morning, as I'm asking myself, what, where is your love quotient? Are you growing more and more in knowledge and depth of insight when it comes to to love. This is a call from Jesus for us to do this. And also, are we making moves to, to, to more deeply and follow Jesus? And so I ask, what's standing in our way? What's standing in our way? The story of the rich young man is actually a very sad story. For he recognizes he has a need. He recognizes that something is missing and he wants to discover what it is. Eternity. He's feeling it. However, the things of this world, the pleasures, if you will, have captivated him and end up superseding this deep longing he feels. And he leaves sad. This is a sad story. It's more than sad. Because we're talking about his eternal salvation at stake here. So I'm asking myself, can this story apply to us today? Is it possible that we too, like the rich man, can seek to impress Jesus with our good acts, our righteousness? Is it possible that we've dabbled in Jesus following, doing the good work stuff, walking the straight and narrow, yet we fail to truly surrender all to him? For to come and follow him surely means a life on mission. I am the first to admit before you this morning that I have self-righteousness inside of me. And it's ugly. How many times are we trying to prove our goodness to God and to others? Here's a test for you. Two things. What is your response when you sin? When you fail to hit the mark that you know is there? Do you kind of go, ah, oh, I knew better than that. I'm better than that. I've... Why did I do that? Or do you say, Jesus, I screwed up. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I go on with my shoulders held high. Ask yourself that question. Second of all, how do you respond when others sin? Is it like, ha, what a loser. That guy, he's like, he's going to hell in a handbasket. Or is it, oh, if one falls, we all fall. Brother, come on. back in the game. Let's get back in the mission. Think about Peter. Peter, when he was called, an incredible story. Jesus does this incredible miracle of the fish. The nets are full. Peter is astounded. He falls on his feet before Jesus. Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinner. In the face of Jesus, in the light of his glory, he says, get away from me because I am a sinner. He realizes his sinfulness. What does Jesus say? That's right, Peter. I want, you, I want thee to get to, to, to Bible school, and then I want you to get to seminary. When you get your life cleaned up, come back and see me, and then we'll talk. No. Peter, come on, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's an invitation into mission directly. Do you see? What Jesus is looking for is a heart that's available. This is what I love so much about the Odette story. She was at the very bottom. She realized that she needed Jesus and nothing else could compare. Nothing else is crowding Jesus out for her. No things, no wealth, wealth that she has to guard and protect. No reputation she needs to protect. Nothing. She's free. She has sufficiency. She knows her Creator and her Savior. She's unafraid of the future because she knows Jesus has risen from the dead. 
So just really briefly, to, sum, to wrap up, Paul says, and this is probably the most crystallizing passage in the Bible for me, when Paul says in chapter 3 of Philippians, All my profit I consider lost for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Can you feel that, guys? Us who've grown up in the church, not having a righteousness of my own. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Neither will you. But Jesus is good enough. And he says, get in the game. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop navel-gazing. Move on. I'm here. This is my job. This is my work. I want to do it. I want to accomplish good things in this world. So just join me. That I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Three questions quickly. Is my ultimate goal, my daily pursuit, to know Christ? What wakes us up in the morning? Is it to know Jesus? Is it when I wake up in the morning, Jesus, I want to know you more today. What do you got for me today? I choose not to navel gaze. I choose not to look at myself and what I'm doing or not doing, but I choose to look at you. Secondly, am I looking for and expecting the power of the resurrection in my daily life? Just a really quick story. I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little bit too long here. I've told some of you about um, me contracting, or whatever you want to call it, Meniere's disease. I like to call it manure's disease because they finally found that I'm full of it. Meniere's disease is a, is a sickness of the inner, inner ear. And what happens is you uh, get extreme vertigo. So the first time it happened, I was in a coffee shop in Burundi meeting someone, and all of a sudden the room started spinning. So what do you do? I jump on my motorcycle. I go to the grocery store to get one thing, then I go to the next grocery store, get the next thing, get in the house finally, and I, I stagger to the bathroom, and then I'm by the toilet for the next two hours, literally, throwing up because I'm so dizzy. Finally, I drag myself to my bed, and after some hours of falling asleep, um, I wake up uh, very weary and um, not knowing what's going on. This was in October of 2016. And it started to progress um, with greater frequency. I'm like, what is this? What am I going to do? And um, I felt the Lord asking me, so yeah, what are you going to do? So, Because I'm, I'm traveling a lot. I'm, I'm driving places. I'm flying places. If this happens on an airplane, like they will never let me fly again. So I feel God asking me, what are you going to do? And I say, God, I'm going to keep going. As much as I can, I'm going to keep going. March 2017, went to meetings in, in Thailand. As I'm there, um, I have another episode. And um, when I recovered, a bunch of people gathered around me to pray. And uh, probably we had a prayer time for three or four hours. I don't even know how long it was. I was on the floor the whole time and didn't feel a difference. But from that moment on, I've never had another symptom, let alone um, the ringing in my ears or anything of Meniere's. Gone. Praise God. This is the power of the resurrection, and this is a small story in some ways, but all of us need to be asking God and and expecting God to work in the power of the resurrection. That's what Paul was asking for, and, and Paul was experiencing the power, but he wanted it more. So let's be expectant that God would work in power in and through us. And then thirdly, am I looking, am I avoiding any and all suffering Or is Jesus so big in my mind? Let me say that again. Am I avoiding any and all suffering? Or is Jesus so big in my mind? Is eternity so captivating that I'm ready to to surrender this safe life? Is Jesus' love for me and therefore my love for Him so great that I'm ready to abandon all for Him? So, I ask, like the rich young man this morning, do you want eternal life? I think we know the answer. I believe God is calling each and every one of us to a life of surrender. Maybe right now you think, oh, I'm just not good enough. Oh, stop it. You're not good enough. You're right. None of us is. I'm not good enough. But Jesus is. And he's the one that wants to do it. So brothers and sisters, 
Let's be motivated to surrender more of our lives to Him. In the gentleness, in the tenderness of Jesus, who wants to move us forward, who wants us to know Him more, the God of reconciliation. This is who He is. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. So let's get in the game. What is it that we need to surrender more of this this day, right now, so that we might be more like Him? The impetus for mission is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your love for this world. Thank you that before we were born, before we were even a, a thought in our parents' minds, you knew us and you had a plan for us. And God, I thank you for your plans for this world. And we just declare this morning that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so we're moving towards that eventuality, Lord. And we make a choice this morning to focus on Jesus. I just want to invite you now, everyone, if you look towards the cross and imagine Jesus, we're considering the death of Jesus, and even more so, we're considering His resurrection. And we're knowing this morning that the power of that resurrection is available to us. That God wants to move us forward. He wants to use us to accomplish His purposes in this world. So God, we just um, tap into the promises that you have for us and for this world. And we say, God, let it happen. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in my life, in our lives, in this church, as it is in heaven. For your glory, for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Doug and Deanna, for sharing. Uh, Every Sunday we have a connection time where we have an opportunity to encourage each other, embrace each other, pray with and for each other. There's coffee out in the uh, the lobby, and then we return about five, ten minutes later, and we're going to celebrate through song and prayer the resurrection, the death of Jesus for us, his life in us, his presence among us. And, uh, and so if you have kids in the kids' wing, please gather them back, and then all ages we respond uh, to God's word with us in worship. And